0: Thanks so much for joining us on our channel today. We wanna to encourage you to subscribe and like today's video. Also, today's word is brought to you by our truth partners. These are people who want to financially invest to help us get this message of truth to around the nation and around the world. You can become a truth partner today by simply going to creativechurch.com give. Again, thank you for partnering with us on this message of truth. And thank you for liking and subscribing to today's video. God bless you. Pray this sermon blesses your life. All right, let's go to work. So, um, let's, let's kind of, this is our last session I know, with parenting.
1: But then we're moving to marriage.
0: We're moving to marriage.
1: Which is
0: exciting. Next Sunday, Joanne and I are kicking it off. Do you like having her up here? Isn't it great? She's going to be back up here next Sunday with me. Yeah. And then that's, 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 that's kind of it. And yeah. then we go into... Good. Then we go into a whole slew of amazing, we got Montel and Christian Jordan, come on, this is how we do, yeah. come on, y'all remember, this is how we do it, see, where's all the heathens at in here, I know you are in here, you know that, I'm kidding, we Wait love them. did you,
1: were you, did you even he- listen to that song?
0: When I was there? saved, I got okay. that, you, you told, taught me that
1: yeah.
0: heathen music later, and like. You
1: sure do got the move for it though.
0: But, uh, hey, you know, <laughs> I can, I can throw down if we have to, but. Uh, Montel and Kristen are going to be here. Uh, Joe and Kayla Dobbins are going to be here. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Ron and Hope are going to be here. It's just a jam-packed uh, conference. It's going to bless so you. And you're going to hear from couple after couple after couple. So it's going to be really great. But let's, let's, let's talk this uh, out today. Let's, let's just start by, and, and take notes today. I uh, want to encourage you to do that. But let's talk by uh, beginning with the spoken word. Everybody say the spoken word. Spoken the spoken word. word. From Abraham Lincoln to Winston Churchill, to Martin Luther King, men and women who have shaped the world, not with the sword, but with their words, uh, to inspire people, uh, to move people, not, not, not with violence, but many to move away from violence. And they have, they have literally moved nations and people groups with the power of their words. And, you know, Peter talked about this when he looked at Jesus in the eyes and told him in John six sixty eight. he said, you and you alone have the words to eternal life, that the tongue is the most unruly part of the body, that it's lethal, that it's, it's deadly. In fact, you can murder with your mouth. And... And how many of you have ever said words and as the words are coming out, you wanted to reach out and grab them and pull them back in. But 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 the words are not retractable. It's like toothpaste coming out of a, a tube. It's easy to get out, but try and put it back. Try and put that back in there. Right? It's it's impossible. Right? So those words are so valuable, they're so important. And we we have to learn to be stewards right. of our words. I've hurt my wife with, with my words. I've hurt my children. With my words, I've hurt, I've hurt people with, with my words. And I have to learn more and more to say, God, help me be a steward over my tongue and, and teach me uh, to be slow to speak, to be quick to hear. That's why mama said you got two ears and one mouth. Cause you're supposed to listen twice as much as you talk, right? I'm
1: ready to say something. Right,
0: always ready to say How many of you ever messed up something with your mouth? And you, I just got to say something. I just got to mess myself up right? And so our words carry weight, especially within our home. And,
1: uh, and you can bring so much healing through your words. I don't know if you said absolute, that. No, say that. Yeah, I mean. So much healing to your children and to your spouse, to any relationship actually, just by the words that you choose to use to talk to them.
0: Yeah, I could heal my wife with my words. You could heal your spouse today with words. You could heal children with words, heal parents with words. Sure. That you are literally a walking pharmacy yep. uh, of God's love and God's grace. And, you know, mm-hmm. Jesus's words were so powerful um, that uh, even when they had crucified him, the soldiers looked at him in uh, John seven forty six and said, never, never a man spake like this. That, that his words alone were such life. And, you know, the typical person I researched it. It says they utter between 7,000 and 20,000 words every day depending on their personality, uh, which means the average person verbalizes a 50-page book. Every day you're writing a 50-page book. How many pages are in our book?
1: I don't know, but Nicholas was counting it so he can get paid.
0: Yeah. That's another little practical (laughs) point. We don't pay our kids to do... Uh, chores, Uh, we don't give them an allowance. It's kind of like how my dad, my dad was, I was like, can I have an allowance? He's like, sure, you're allowed to live in this house, and you're allowed to use the bathroom, and you're allowed to eat dinner when we eat dinner. Uh, So we don't pay our kids to do chores. We actually got this from uh, our mentor, Pastor Pastor John Maxwell, is uh, his dad did this with him, is we pay our kids to read. So they get paid to read books and they get a certain amount per page. And so the first thing Nicholas asked when we did the book, he's like, how many pages is that? How much can I get on this book? So, uh, because the readers are the leaders. Amen. Say that with me, the readers are the leaders. So uh, you know, if you're, gonna, if you're gonna pay your kids you know, to do anything, I, I would encourage you, that, that inspired us, mm-hmm. is to pay them to, uh, to read, and you pick the books. Uh, that you, you, you want them to read. Uh, but our words are life, so 50 page book every day. Uh, that means over the course of a week, you're filling 350 pages, 80,000 pages. Eight, 80,000 pages a year.
1: That's, a lot That's like a
0: miniature library. Now if your words, everything you said was to go on social media or flash up on this screen, how many of you be a little more careful? of the words you said, well, Jesus tells us in Matthew 12:36 that we will stand before him and give an account for every word, every idle word that is spoken. So it's like, why well, don't want anybody to see what I said? Well, everybody's going to see what you said one day.
1: That's right.
0: That we're going to stand before God and give an account for every word. And it's like, well, let's look back here, you know, uh, February, what is today? February 5th. February 5th. You know, these words. I think that guy preaches too long. <laughs> Why does he yell so much? Oh, here it is, March, yelling at your wife. Yelling at your, You're gonna stand before God and give an account. And so if you, if you know that, let's be, how many of you would be a little more cautious yeah. mm-hmm. of the library that you're, that you're writing? Every single day, you're putting up a 50-page book into your library. I don't know about you, but I want it to be words of blessing. I want it to be words of encouragement. Obviously, we're not perfect. None of us are perfect. Our kids are not perfect. No. You know, we're not perfect.
1: I agree. Yeah, I don't want my kids to feel like they have to be perfect because we teach on parenting. We have a book on parenting. And please don't hold my kids to the standard of being perfect either. Or me. Because I don't want them.
0: Or your husband. You're perfect, babe. Right. (laughs) But, but Matthew 12, 36, it says, we're gonna stand before God and give an account for every single one of these words. So let's be cautious about our words. You know, one of the things that I want you to know too is that you're also a prophet and a priest in your home. If you're taking those, write that down, prophet and priest. You are a prophet and a priest in your home. You have to consider that you are both in your home. That's right. A prophet and a priest. And a priest is someone appointed by God that stands between God and the people in order to talk to God on the people's behalf. So when you're operating as a priest, you are talking to God on behalf of the people. When you're operating as a prophet, you are talking to the people on behalf of God. And you are gonna have to be both of that in your home. There's times you're gonna have to talk um, you're gonna have to talk to your kids about the Lord. And there's times you're gonna talk to God about your kids. Mm-hmm. There's there's times that you're gonna have to be a priest and there's times you're gonna have to be a prophet in your home. And I, I, I think that really segues into what I want us to talk about next, which is prophecy. And this is a big part of the book. There's so much in the book that we can't have, we just don't have time to discuss uh, within here. Uh, but, a big part of this is being, and I've, and I've taught you guys this for some time before the book come out, came out, but being a prophetic voice within your home. Yes. Especially if your kids are in public schools, and I am not tearing down teachers and administrators and things like that, but the system within itself, okay? But what I'm saying is your kids can receive a lot of demonic prophecies from other kids. I'm not talking about teachers. Please understand, I'm not tearing down teachers. I think every teacher in America is massively underpaid, okay? But what I'm talking about is just, you know, putting our kids in environments where they are hearing, you're dumb, you're stupid, you're ugly, you're lazy, you're this, or whatever, from all kinds of other kids who serve other gods. And then coming home and you're silent. You need to put a word against a word. When the enemy opens his mouth, you need to open your mouth, okay? Do not be silent. Your kids. Your kids need to have prophetic words that have been spoken over them by their parent. You'd be shocked at the people in this room that have never received a prophetic word from their parent.
1: Well, I think a lot of kids don't tell their parents that they are hearing that at school either. So you don't, your kids are not always gonna tell you what's happening at school, what's being said to them, what, how people are treating them. So you just have to counteract it anyways it's So they good. Come home.
0: Every Father's Day, I... I The Lord spoke this to me years ago. Every Father's Day, I give my kids a gift. And it is, and Pastor Joanne, it is the biggest gift they get all year. It's bigger than Christmas. It's bigger than their birthday. It's the biggest gift they get all year. And I I wrap it, I don't wrap it. I get it wrapped because I don't know how to wrap it. But I get it wrapped very nicely. It's a big presentation. And I give them a gift that coincides with the prophetic word that God has given me for them for the year and I write a prophetic word for them. Most of it is scripture. I write a prophetic word for them, I frame it, I wanna put it in their room. One of the things I gave to Alexander last year that God gave me was this was a year that he is to give his all. God wants you to give your all. And I gave him an actual, uh, um, I gave him a a chain with a widow's mite on it Uh, because this, this widow, when she gave her offering, the Bible says she gave all she had and I wanted him to have a gift that reminds him to give his all. And so I gave him that gift on Father's Day. And I wanna encourage you as a father, make sure your children know that you are praying, that you see a plan and a purpose for their life. That you as the spiritual priest and prophet and spiritual authority in their home are declaring things over their life. Because it's just what Pastor Joanne said, they may not always tell you that's right. What somebody else has said, what somebody else is doing, and've and, and you've, got, you've got to be that voice declaring things in their life. I went to um, I went to a restaurant the other day or something, and uh, the, this person was struggling. I could tell they were struggling with their identity, and they had a, a name tag um, that said Judas." And I thought, nobody's named Judas. Um, and I just thought, you know it's quite possible that somebody had prophesied something negative over that person, that somebody had prophesied, you know, just ungodly things over that person. And I thought, you know, I just in my heart, you know, in the spirit just began to prophesy blessings over them, you know, that God would reveal his plan and purpose for their life. And a lot of people who are challenged in certain areas and struggling with certain things, a lot of it's because You know, there was a demonic prophecy that got spoken over life that they embraced. I mean, just let somebody prophesy over you, you're gonna be a missionary. Watch how you don't start Googling missions trips and how to be a missionary and how to do this and how to that. It's because it starts to shape your identity. And that's why, as parents, you know, the earmark of this series is to train up a child in the way they should go. But how will you know which way they go? If you don't get a vision or a dream. That's
1: right. You need to hear from the Lord. But I think you also, in order to be able to do those prophecies over your children, you've got to know the word. Like, as us as parents, we've got to know the word. And I didn't always grow up in church. I didn't always read my Bible. So when I first started, I know how it is. You don't know what to start, where to read, where to go. But then let's bring it in as a family thing. We're all learning at the same time together then. We're going to all learn the word and we're going to, you know, remember it and speak it over each other. mm-hmm.
0: Hey, I just want to take a moment and let you know that today's sermon is brought to you by our Truth Partners. If you're interested in being a Truth Partner, simply go to creativechurch.com slash give and select Truth Partners today. Again, please subscribe and like today's video. It's blessing you, it's blessing your family, and hey, let's get back to the word. Prophesy it over each other. Nicholas took um, a, a page out of my book, and on Christmas just a couple years ago, he ended up giving everybody a gift with a prophetic word. We were weeping when he was done with this. He's like, I gotta go first, I gotta go first. And he started, he gave him a gift and he had this whole like prophetic word that he had written. I'm
1: just surprised he kept it a secret though.
0: We didn't know, he had one for me. I don't know. He had one for, our, we were weeping. And he starts with Penelope, he's like, you know, God's gonna heal your eyes. Um, I don't wanna get emotional. He's like, God's gonna heal your eyes because God's called you to heal people. Your name is Penelope, it has people in it. And he starts, like, going through these verses and, like, and it's, but that's the kind of stuff you have to do. You have to practice that. That's right. If you don't practice that at home, it won't just turn out like that. You have to practice the presence of God to where it becomes normal. It becomes comfortable. Like, I go on, I'll go on a prayer walks with, with my kids, and we'll just pray in the Holy Ghost. And, and, and they hear me praying. And I can tell, you know, sometimes they're, like, you know, a little quiet or whatnot. They're a little... Self-conscious or whatnot, and then we'll sing in the Holy Ghost. And I, I'll take any, one thing I do in my home is I try to take any awkwardness on me. Yeah. So if there's any awkward moments or feeling, I'll just take it all. I'll take all that. Just give it all to me. You know, I'll walk in and be the, you know, good morning and sing or be silly or goofy or stupid. I'll just take all that on me, and I don't want them to feel awkward in the presence of God. Right. Things you don't talk about, people feel uncomfortable with. It's like if you don't talk to your kids about sex, every time you talk about sex, they're gonna feel weird. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If if you don't talk about it, they're gonna feel weird about it. Like that's why we talk about sex in church, so you guys don't feel weird about it. You're like, oh, weird. <laughs> talk about money so you don't feel weird about it. Yeah, we talk about it. Right? Because we, we don't want to be in a place where it's like when you don't talk about it, now it's weird. Yeah. Right? And so we'll just discuss it. So these are things that are very important. Let's talk about dating. Since we just, I just mentioned sex, so let's talk about dating too. Perfect. Just go ahead and get it over with. I mean, right?
1: I mean, half the room we're gonna lose them, but in our home we don't believe in dating until you're ready for marriage.
0: Say it again, sister.
1: You can say it.
0: We do not practice dating. Really, we call it courting. Yes.
1: Because
0: courting actually leads you to marriage. Dating, Technically leads you to divorce. That's
1: right.
0: And one of the reasons we don't want to do this, we don't want our kids dating, breaking up, 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 because what they learn, they learn divorce. Yeah, that's, that's that's so- and yeah. you don't yeah. you, you play like you practice. And what happens is kids learn get in a loving relationship. Get them out of your life. Get in a loving relationship, get them out of your life. Get in a loving relationship, get them out of your life. And what happens is you end up you end up practicing divorce. And so you've got to and, and I I have to talk about this because parents, I know society's pushing 13 dating, twelve dating, fifteen dating, all this kind of stuff. But and I and I don't and I mean this with all respect to all the teenagers in the room. Please know Pastor Joanne, I love you, and we will do anything for you. Yes. But teenagers are homeless people that you have living in your home. And, 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 and I'm not saying there's supposed to be anything other than that right now, okay? <laughs> Enjoy being a homeless person <laughs> right now. I'm just saying, I'm just saying <laughs> right now, okay? But at some point, at some point, you have to realize they don't have anything to give. And they're not supposed to yet. They're focusing on themselves. They are in a season where they are preparing themselves For
1: marriage.
0: That's right. What do you mean prepared? Mentally, emotionally, physically, financially, spiritually, relationally. I'm being prepared. I'm preparing myself for marriage, okay? When you let them get into a relationship, now that I like you and you like me, and now that I love you and you love me, when- Which
1: happens very quickly. What happens
0: very quickly, when passion has no place to go, it perverts. So, If I cannot move it forward, it it gets perverted. That's right. Because love is manifested in. For God so loved that he so love is manifested in giving. So now that I like you and you like me, now that I love you and you love me, if I cannot give you a ring, show them the ring. I don't have it on. You don't have your (laughs) ring on! Sorry. (laughs) Look here. Look at there.
1: I forgot it. I want a reel
0: on every social media platform on this one. God help us. If I can't give you a ring and give you a date and give you a wedding, then I'll give you all I have, which is my body. I'm living at a home with my parents. I don't have anything. I can't give you a ring, I can't give you a house, I can't give you a wedding, so I'll give you all I have. Do not force your kids into a relationship that they have to give and they have nothing to give. They have nothing to give but their body. That's why the Bible says, do not awaken love until the appropriate time. Because once you awaken it, you can't put it to sleep. And you don't want that awakened at 15, but now they're not getting married till they're 25 and now they gotta manage this thing for 10 years. When you look at a stat right now that says 85 to 90% of all evangelical young adults in America are sexually active, 85 to 90%. That means eight out of 9 out of 10 young adults in this room are sexually active. And not just this room, but every room across the nation in churches because culture is so strong and culture is pushing them so strong in that arena. And the problem with that is even though you quit, you cannot forget and I can never know who I've known. And we'll talk more about that in our marriage talk next week. But fornication is sex outside of marriage. And anytime you, you fornicate or you have sex outside of marriage, the Bible says you sin against your own body. Very specific. About, see, people, see how quiet, people don't talk about that. But the Bible tells you that when you fornicate, you commit sin against your own body. And the wages of sin is death. There's consequences to that. And any type of sexual activity outside a heterosexual marriage is sinful. That's right. It's sinful, okay? And the challenge we've got to realize is we are all sexually broken not this group or that group or this group or that. We are all sexually broken, and that's what makes us run to Jesus and say, God, without you, I cannot do this. Can I get an amen about that? Without you, I cannot do that. And this is very important for us to realize because we've gotta talk to our kids about intimacy, we've gotta talk to them about sex, we've gotta talk to them about marriage because the world is gonna educate them. And the challenge with it, it's almost like whoever gets their first wins. Yeah,
1: and they're starting early.
0: They're starting early as they can be, right? And pushing stuff onto our, our children. And, and parents are quiet. That's why we started the academy. Mm-hmm. Because the government did not start schools, churches did. Yeah. And I felt it was time for our church to be a part of reclaiming our spiritual heritage and investing into the next generation. That's right. Okay. It's kinda like the same thing with um, uh, Nestle. Uh, You can research this, but Nestle uh, was trying to sell coffee to China and they couldn't get coffee to to sell in China, because China was into tea. And no matter what they did, they kept losing the market, losing the market, losing the market, and finally what they decided to do was to bypass all of the adults and go for the kids and they started selling coffee-flavored candies to the kids in order, to, in order, if we can get the kids into coffee, then we'll create a market when they become young adults and adults will be able to do it, and that's what they did. And now China's one of the largest, one of the largest customers that they have because they went after the kids. And so we've gotta be very intentional as parents. That's why we're doing this, raising parents, that we talk to our children Mm-hmm. That they understand the Word of God, that they understand what marriage is, Mark 10, six through nine, but at the beginning, but at the what? Beginning of creation, God made them male and that there are two genders. not 10, not 50, not 500. There are two genders. You don't say men, because some of you are scared. there's two genders. Two genders. It's not complicated. And people want to make me feel like I'm, I'm out of my mind. I'm not the crazy one here, dude. It's been two genders from the dawn of man. And now a group of people have decided that there's 500 and growing. And growing. It's like, and I'm the crazy one. I'm the crazy one. No, you're the new kid on the block. You're the new kid on the block. It's male and female. Created he them and for this reason, will a man leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. The two will become one flesh.
1: This is New Testament, by the way.
0: Is this, it's not Old Testament, right? It's New Testament, Mark. Mm-hmm. Mark's the New Testament, right? Yeah, at the beginning, creation, male and female, New Testament, it's not complicated. And so we've, if we don't teach this to our children, teach them the word of God, the world is trying to purposefully deconstruct their faith very intentional to deconstruct their faith. And we have to teach them, your children's faith, listen, to I don't have time to go into all this, and I have plenty of stuff that you can watch other times. But your children's faith has to be rooted in the resurrection.
1: Yes.
0: It has to be rooted in the resurrection. You've gotta teach the resurrection to your children. Yes. And I don't have time to go into all that on the resurrection, but it's like historically proven, resurrection, and And when you just teach them the Bible, not that we need to teach the Bible, but their faith has to be rooted in even beyond the Bible into the resurrection. Because when you send them off to college, I mean, you can look at the stats at how high the percentage is of teenagers who go to college and how many of them come back atheists. It's insane the amount of teenagers that go to college and come back non-believers. And so, and you're paying for it. Okay? And so you have to teach them the Word of God because a professor is going to go, not all professors, I'm not putting them all, but I'm saying an atheist professor is going to say, well, what about the Bible do you believe? This part in Leviticus where it talks about slavery, where women should be less than, or this part of stoning people. Which part of the Bible do you actually believe? And what they do is they try to find Old Testament scriptures that your kids can't explain. And then your kid's like, yeah, I don't believe in slavery. Yeah, I don't believe in stoning. Yeah, I don't believe women are less than. Yeah, I guess I don't believe in the Bible. I don't really know what I believe. Great, now that you don't know what you believe, let us tell you what you should believe. Do you know how, you, do you know how cults adopt people? Cults do not go for people who have no faith. Yeah. Just so you know, people like cults do not try to bring people into their cult who are non-believers, of the, you, you don't believe in anything. They don't go for those people. They go for people who know what, who know what they believe, but they don't know why they believe it. Yeah, so you're a person of faith, but you don't know why you're a person of faith. Like you believe in God, but you don't know why you believe in God. You believe in Jesus, but you don't know why you believe in Jesus. That's who they go for. And then what they do is they begin to tear down your faith by questions. Same way Satan did with Eve. As God said unto you, shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So he, they, begin to dis, they begin to ask you questions that you don't know the answer to. And your kid, when they go to college, they're like a rope. They're like a boat with a rope tied to the dock. And what the job of that person is is to cut the rope. They cut that rope through questions. And then once they cut that rope, now your kid's just out there lost. They're just out there. And then they come, they present themselves as a savior to say, you're lost, you're clearly confused. Here, let us save you. Let us tell you what you ought to believe. And that's what happens. So you've gotta say, you've gotta teach your children about the resurrection because, how many of you know Christianity rests on one miracle? It doesn't rest on the fact that Jesus turned water into wine, even though some of y'all, that's your favorite miracle. (laughs) It It doesn't rest on the fact that Jesus fed the multitudes or he healed a blind person. Christianity rests on one miracle, that Jesus Christ came back to life. And if Jesus is dead, Christianity is dead. But if Jesus is alive, then Christianity is alive. And so our faith is predicated on one miracle, that Jesus Christ resurrected. The guys who are writing the New Testament, guess what they didn't have? The New Testament. They didn't have it. Matthew didn't have the book of Matthew. Mark didn't have the book of Mark. They were living it. They didn't have it. They had the Old Testament Torah, but they didn't have the New Testament. So, what was their faith rooted in? What made these guys willing to stand up and face death? To stand up in the face of society and say, I don't care what you throw at me, I believe. What was it? The resurrection. It was the resurrection. And you got to teach your kid because they may go to college and say, "Look, I don't know anything about that Stony scripture. I can't explain it. But let me tell you what I do know: Jesus really lived. He really died for me, and He's really coming back for me. And that's why I'm a Christian. That's why I'm a Christian. Not because of your verse and that you're trying to confuse me with out of Leviticus. We've got to teach them the Word of God. That's right. Am I helping anybody? Good. We've got to teach them the truth about marriage. That as Christians, we do not derive our our thoughts on marriage, our beliefs on marriage, from the uh, school boards, or the Supreme Court, or CNN, or Fox News, or YouTube, or TikTok, or Hollywood. We derive them from the Word of God. Amen. Amen. And and we've got to teach them that. You know, First Corinthians six nineteen says our body no longer belongs to us; it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. When we talk about technology, we talk about um, the internet. We talk a lot about that in the book. You know, We came up with cell phone safety. It's the only platform uh, right now in America that teaches students how to use a cell phone in a safe way and model transparency, right? See, parents want transparency, but we model privacy. No, you can see my phone, you can see my passwords, but let me see all, no, you gotta model transparency. We said last week, we have a family password, anybody can use anybody's phones and no phones in the bedrooms, no phones upstairs, That's right. and no phones at the dinner table. And these aren't rules for the kids, these are, it's family accountability. It's like
1: one of the only times our kids can call us out. Right, family accountability,
0: yeah. right? Um, so make sure your, ch- your children have a good understanding about that. Um, and resource your children, teach them, do whatever you gotta do to resource them. Talk about what, what we learned from other pastors and what you do on Easter.
1: Um, I give the kids a new Bible and a new devotional and a journal, my kids like to journal, um, so that they can you know, refresh them. They love getting that stuff every year and they always love to have a new Bible. They're always looking in the Bible section when we go to the bookstores um, because they just want to learn the word on their level. Cause, you know, They make Bibles for different levels, and I think they need to learn it at where they're at in their age group.
0: Yeah, and and on Easter, we celebrate the resurrection.
1: Yes, we do. Yes, they
0: get the candy and the erasers and the glitter flip-flops and every other thing that (laughs) people want on Easter, I guess, but giving giving them new resources and making sure they always have a Bible that's appropriate for them, they always have a devotional that's good for them, they always have everything they need, spiritually and doing that on Easter, I think is a really cool, mm-hmm. a really cool thing to do. Uh, one of the things that John Maxwell taught us too is to put more focus into values, even above academics. Yes. Not that we promote ignorance by any means, but your kids are always gonna learn. How many people learned something this year? I just learned how to make a dish the other day watching a YouTube video, I'm like, this is amazing. It was right? really good. But people aren't putting values into you at 40, typically. Okay, so we wanna, we really wanna focus on values more than anything, That's right. okay? And make sure that they've got the right, the right values. Um, I love this because 1 Corinthians thirteen four through eight, um, the Apostle Paul speaks to us about this. It says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. This chapter, and we've got, at the end of this, we, we've got just, I think, three or four babies we're gonna dedicate real quick at the end, so you might see some parents get up uh, while I'm sharing this. But 1 Corinthians 13:4 through eight, it says, love is patient. Now, this is called the love chapter. How many of you had this read at your wedding? Yeah. Come on, put the hands up. All these two, mm-hmm. okay. Now, when Paul wrote this, he wasn't like, we need something for people to read at weddings, so let's, let's get this in there. He, <laughs> that was not why Paul wrote this. So to be clear, when Paul wrote this, he was dealing with a city, the city of Corinth. Now Corinth was a dumpster fire, okay? And the church at Corinth was a dumpster fire. It was a hot mess. Sexual immorality was running rampant. They had this whole culture of love is love. Sound familiar? So they had this culture of love is love, you could sleep with anybody, Biblically, you had kids sleeping with their parents, like in Corinth. Yeah, you're like, oh my gosh, yeah, that was Corinth. Corinth was a dumpster fire city and they worshiped the God of love, okay? They had this God of love and everything, whatever you wanted to do, you could do it because it was all under the banner of love. And it had crept into the church and in the church, you had people committing crazy sexual immorality to the point that Paul was like, hey, hold up, hold up. This is a church he started. <laughs> and he's like, you guys are out of control. He's like, actually, it would probably be better if you didn't meet. <laughs> That's what he said. He was like, you guys probably shouldn't even get together on Sunday because it's a mess when y'all get together, okay? Because the culture that the church was in was surrounded by this whole love is love, men sleeping with men, women sleeping with women, you can marry however many, whoever, it was a mess. And they were saying that was all under the banner of love. So Paul had to write a letter and bring the whole church into conviction and into obedience, which is why we end up with 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It is not written for you to use at your wedding. You can use it at your wedding. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. But it was, that's not the purpose of why it was written. It was written to explain to the people what love is. Because they were saying love is this and love is that and love is whatever you want it to be. Does that sound familiar? Okay, so this is why we have 1 Corinthians New Testament in the Bible. And he says love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It does not, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. Notice there's nothing in here about your sexual, love is about your sexual preference. Mm-hmm. He does not say love is about your sexual preference. It's not, There's not in here. He says love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in, Are, is my production team able to put the verses up that I'm reading? It, it delights in the truth. Everybody say the truth. It delights in the truth. Oh, there's that truth word again. Truth and love go hand in hand. It delights in the truth. It rejoices in the truth. How many people can rejoice about truth? Yes. It rejoices in the truth. If you can't rejoice over truth, something's wrong. Yes. If truth makes you angry, something's wrong with you. Just so you know, when you're reading the Bible and you get to a part you disagree with, you're the one who's wrong. Yes. Okay? Okay. It rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But let's go back to the beginning part because I'm almost at time. It says, Love is patient. Everybody say, Love is patient. Love is patient. Love is patient.
1: That's
0: a hard one. That's a super hard one. Mm-hmm. It's a super hard one. And it's one that God is really working with me on as a dad. Love is patient. And every time Joanne's like, you know, hey, you need to. Watch the kids, I gotta go. And I'm like, oh, now I gotta babysit. And she's like, no, you have to parent.
1: Yes, you are the father.
0: <sighs> yeah, it's like, we're on one of those talk shows, She's like, <laughs> you are the father. <laughs> but love is patient. And if you're taking notes, write this down, love chooses to move at another person's pace. That's not your natural.
1: It's not pushy.
0: It's not pushy. Love is not pushy, love is patient. So love chooses to move at another person's pace. So if I take Winston, if I love Winston, my two year old, and I wanna, I love him, and I say, all right, because I got a fast pace, I'm like, let's, let's get it done. You know, like, laziness, I have an allergic reaction to it, you know? Like if I send you a card that says get well soon, I'm like, you should get well soon, you need to get <laughs> well, right? And so I'm like, come on, Winston, let's go. And so, all right, come on, Winston, let's go. He's two years old. And I'm like, let's go. This is my pace. This is my natural pace. So if I look back, he is gonna be back there. Okay? And if I move at my pace and I do not slow down to his pace, what happens is you end up with separation. You're gonna separate from your kids. And love forces you to move at someone else's pace. Now I get, as a dad, I wanna push them to do this, and I wanna wanna do, I wanna, you know, don't they need to do better? Don't I need to encourage them to do? Absolutely, but that's the key, is I need to encourage them. And Paul talks about this. Paul really gives us one key verse with parenting, and he gives it to men. He gives it to the fathers. It's Colossians 321. He says, fathers, do not exasperate your children, meaning do not push your children to the point that they become discouraged. Because you know what Winston's gonna do? He's just gonna give up. I can't keep up with you, I I can't make you happy, I can't please you. I'm just going to disconnect, I'm just going to pull away, I'm gonna pull back. And I'm not saying not to encourage, yes. Motivate, yes. Inspire, yes. Push too hard, no. Shame, no. Compare, no.
1: Insist on winning.
0: Insist on winning? No, you know, because you got to go at this. You got to go at this pace. You got to go this pace. And I need you. And I need you. And I need you. And I need you. And I need you you to be what I imagined. People do that in church. Fifteen hundred pastors come out of the ministry every month in America, because people want their pastors to be all the things that they can't be. I need you to be funny, but not do, too funny, because I also need you to be spiritual when I come, you know, and there's times I wanna cry. And then, you know, I, I, I really wanna walk into an environment where everything is really nice, but I don't ever want you to talk about money. And then I want you to, like, I, I, I want you to, I want you to, like, look super sharp and be fit, but don't be too fit, because I don't feel bad about myself, but be, you know, be chubby enough. That, it's like, I can't be all the things that you, you want, you want us to be what you can not be. We're not God.
1: No, we're not perfect.
0: I'm just a 44-year-old guy trying to be a dad and a husband and trying to serve Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? Like,
1: that's right. Like,
0: we can't be, you can't put on your kids what, I want you to be what I didn't become. Yes. I, I, that, that's, that's not what it's about. It's not about them being what you want them to be. It's about them being who God wants them to be. Right? And the number one predictor to relational and professional success is self awareness, emotional intelligence, and personal security. And the number one contributor for their success in those areas is their home life. That's right. What's going on at home? You know, and we're not in this yet. We're getting ready to get into this, but we have a pastor who gave us this advice. It's so great. And he had older teenagers who were young adults getting ready to go to college, figuring out what they want. They didn't know what they wanted to be. And he's like, okay, until you know what you want to be, until you know what you want to do, will you let us choose? Okay, let us choose for you. Let us point you in a direction until you know what you want to choose. So, And and once you know what you want to choose, we're 100% with you. 100%, we'll line up with you, we'll go with you. But if you don't know, will you trust us Okay, so you choose, but until you choose, will you let us choose for you? Yeah. And let us partner with you. And he had one kid that they looked at, and he's like, I think you should go into mathematics, and from that, you should go into being an attorney, and he did, and he's an attorney to this day. And the other kid, uh, he said, hey, um, go into to this arena, and then four years later, he's like, I wanna be a comedian. And he's like, he said, I did not go to him and say, I did four years of college for you, and there's no, I paid you, now you're gonna, that conversation didn't happen. He said, we're with you. We're with you. I'm gonna point you in a I I want you to trust me to point you in a direction until you know. And when you know, I'll support you. And I think we've gotta be careful in pushing our kids because it's like a ring falls in the drain until you, in your attempt to reach it, you push it. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to reach it, but I pushed it further. And that's something that we've gotta be careful about, that we don't push our children. And love requires that we slow down. Love requires you adjust your pace to theirs. I've got to adjust my pace. Because hear me, if you live long enough, you're going to need your kids to adjust their pace to you. You're going to need them. Hey, mama can't, mama can't go all day like that. And dad can't go up the stairs, so <laughs> let's just go on vacation without them because you never taught them, you never modeled for them, mom and dad are adjusting our pace for you. So then when they got older, they didn't adjust their pace for you. So we've gotta model to our children, hey, this is what love is. You see, and some of you, I I watch you, some of you that we know uh, really close, we watch you and you have family, like moms and dads that you're you're taken care of, and, and I know we have some families right now that can't even be here because they're watching online because they're home taking care of mom. And what you're doing is you're adjusting your pace to honor that's right. mom, because that's what love does. That's what love does. My own parents, my own parents, even my, my sister, they, they, they take care of my 90, which 93, 93, she's probably watching, that's why I don't want to get it wrong, my 93-year-old <laughs> grandmother and they have adjusted their life for her pace. Because that's what love does. And it's not hard to do when you've seen it modeled for you. That's right. So love is patient. Love is kind. Love is kind. It's about being a kind person. How many of you want kind children? Come on. Kindness is choosing to loan someone your strength rather than reminding them of their weakness. That's what kindness does. I'm going to be kind to you and I'm gonna lend you my strength. That's good. Yeah. See, people who get mad about things all the time, it's because they're broke right. with self worth. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your wealth is not in money, your wealth is in, in, in a, your identity that comes from God. Yes. Amen. You know? I remember we were with Nicholas once, and him and I and I Azina you know, were going through one of these doors, one of these revolving doors. And right when I got ready to go, and some guy jumped in front of me and kind of went in. And, you know, messed up, Nicholas was like, man, I can't believe that guy did it, you know? And I said, it's okay, I can not afford it. It's okay, I can not afford it, he's broke. You know, he's gotta be first, he's gotta be this, he's gotta be that. Go ahead, no. go ahead, because pe- people who don't know how to be kind are very, they're people who are not self-aware. Yeah. Yeah. They're so unaware that they don't even know they're unkind. Like they, 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 they're not like, I'm gonna be an unkind person today. They're just like not even aware that they're unkind because many of them are self-absorbed. And so it takes a lot of strength to be a kind person. And in order to be kind, you gotta lend people your strength. I had to, I've had to do that. You can't give people, teach your kids, you can't give people the opportunity to rob you of your joy. That's right. I remember I preached at a church once, years ago, I just started preaching and I went out to eat at this little restaurant called Howard Johnson's. Anybody remember Howard Johnson's? It was this little place and I went to Howard Johnson's and the server was terrible and and it was just awful and the food wasn't anything that I ordered and it was cold, it was awful and you could just tell that this kid just had no joy or anything in their life and I was getting upset. I was like, don't you know you work on tips? Like I waited tables when I was in college. Like care. If you don't care, just go home. That's what I wanted to say. I just wanted to, like, educate this person, right? I wanted to, like, listen. Because I'm that guy. I go into Costco, and there's one register. I'm, like, and everybody's lining up. I'm, like, what are we doing here? Does anybody does anybody see this happening? Are we at a gas station here? There's 50 registers. Love Why is there patient, one man. person? She's, like, don't say something. Don't say it. People know you're a pastor. I'm, like, just there's... Or they're training a person. Now I'm in the training. Am I, am I, did I sign up for the training day? You're supposed is, to be
1: working on patience.
0: I know. I'm, I'm trying to say is God's working with me on it. I went to Dairy Queen and the, I added a blizzard. I asked for it. Can I give me a blizzard? And the lady came back with one. It was all melted. There's no candy in it. And I'm like, you see the picture? <laughs> uh, it has like candy. It's like cold and stuff, and it's like candy. Can you make it, is this like a discounted one? Is this like, <laughs> is this like a half off? She's like.
1: <sighs> or it could have just been God telling you not to eat the dirt. Probably, it's
0: probably what it was. You don't need more candy, you know? But nonetheless, it's, it's. <laughs> I, I I think God is teaching me patience.
1: Yes, I agree.
0: And not to eat blizzards.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But love is patient. <laughs> love is kind. Your words carry weight. Mom's words carry 100 pounds. If mom's words carry 100 pounds, dad's yours carry 500. That's right. I don't know why. I can't explain it. Don't ask me why. I'm just telling you they do. And, you know, It just matters. And so we've gotta be careful what we're speaking to our kids. Do not get pulled into sarcasm. Don't let sarcasm come in your home between you and your kids. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Okay, because one, they can never win the sarcasm argument. They can't, it's gonna move into dishonor.
1: Yeah.
0: And you're teaching them like, if, if, if you even do sarcasm, at best it's for peers. But it's never, it's never to be in a home between sarcasm towards the kid, the kid towards the parent. Never argue with your children. Because arguing, at best, is for peers. And when you argue, you come off of your, your, your place of a parent onto their platform, and you consider yourself an equal. I'm not equal with you, I'm your parent. I'm not arguing with you about this. We're not getting into an argument. This is what it is, I'm not, we're not arguing. It's not gonna be back and forth. It's quiet.
1: hmm
0: Okay. Romans 12, 10 says, be devoted one to another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Honor, bring honor in the home. And there's things you can do that you don't mean it dishonoring, you know, but, like, I like the house in order, and if the house isn't in order, then I feel like I just get frustrated. I feel like I can't be creative in chaos. It like, and Joanne could easily say to the kids, you know, you guys need to pick up. You know your dad's going to be in a bad mood and be upset when he comes home if the house isn't. It's like,
1: Which I have.
0: She has, but she's also said things like, hey, let's clean the house so that it's honoring for your dad and it's a good environment when he comes home. One is a position of honor. One is just tearing down the spouse.
1: Can I speak to that real quick? I mean, you talk a lot about how you train up our boys to honor their sisters and me and having them, you know, having us go first in a lot of things. But I also feel like, because I'm never up here, so I need to say this, but for moms to show their daughters and their sons what it is for a wife to honor their husbands and to see them as, um, you know, the world tries to say like it's a controlling thing, but it's not a controlling thing. It's I honor you, you honor me and the kids honor us, right? And teaching your daughters how to honor men. Now, we can be, I mean, he could be dead wrong, dead wrong, and we can have a conversation afterwards, but I will not dishonor him in front of the children. I will not speak against him in front of the kids because it's teaching them to not honor their dad and not, like, and then it's teaching them that I don't honor my husband. So you gotta teach at a young age, and then we'll later on go back and have a conversation about what happened. But you have to model that to them because it's 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 very rare to find that you know you could, women are honoring men because it's okay to do that. You know, I respect you. You respect me. We honor each other, and we show that to our kids.
0: It's so beautiful, yeah. It doesn't minimize me to tell you I'm sorry. That's right. It doesn't minimize her to honor. It doesn't minimize me. It makes you bigger. It, it builds you up. And, and
1: apologizing in front of our children. Like, oh, my gosh. Let's all the say time. We, I snap at him. I'm like, oh, ben, I'm so sorry if I did that. My kids see that I apologize for, you know, yelling or saying something that I shouldn't have said.
0: Yeah, and it's going to happen. So you just got to learn to be a person who is models apologies. That's right. This is how we apologize. We apologize all the time. You know, I need to, I need to really make this right. I need, to, I need to do it. We were sitting home the other day, and Nicholas said something to you. And I was like, what? Excuse me? Like, he's like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm like, nope. Stand up. Walk over to your mother. Look in her eyes and tell her exactly what you're sorry for and what you're never going to do again. It's, it, this has to matter. You know, we, we teach I'm sorry as an incomplete sentence.
1: That's
0: right. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry for what? And you have to learn the humility in it. That's right. You know, and then it makes you think twice before I do that because, you know, I'm gonna have to fix this.
1: Same thing with their siblings. You know, if they're fighting and arguing, we don't send each of one of them to their own rooms. No, you come here. You're gonna apologize. You're gonna speak something godly about them that's positive, and then you're gonna pray for each other. That's right. And it kills it.
0: Yeah, and and prophesy blessings over each other as as siblings. Mm-hmm. Many of you have never. Prophesy a blessing over your sibling. Prophesy blessings over them. Prophesy greatness over them. Call them. Text them. Break the generational curse of siblings. Don't engage. My grandparents' siblings never talked to each other. My parents' siblings never talked to each other. We don't talk to each other, and you gonna pass it down. That in, it ran in my family till it ran into me, and it ends with me. And I, I had them. You can come play some for me. We're done, but. Um, I had them give me the, anybody know what this is? Raise your hand if you know what that is. Right, some of y'all got the LED ones and all the technology and <laughs> all the touch screen, Wi-Fi. I like this one. I like this old school one. Uh, but you know what's funny about this little thing, you can't, you can't see it from where you are, but the, 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 the marks are like a centimeter apart. And you can change the whole atmosphere. It did not have to be a big, a big thing. Yeah. Honestly, just one little, yeah. Yeah. and you can change the whole atmosphere in the home, right? So it did not have to be a whole lot, just one kind word. Just one moment in, in praying. And the reason I want to bring this up here is because all of you have one of these in your house. It may not look like this, but you all have one. of you argue over it. That's for the marriage conference. That's next Sunday, right? But who touched it? (laughs) I'm hot. Before we had kids, she was always (laughs) freezing cold. Freezing, I'm freezing, I'm freezing. Now that she's had all these kids, she's, I'm on fire. I'm burning up, I'm burning up, I'm freezing. I think the babies mess up your internal thermostat (laughs) Somehow, I don't know. They like mess up women's.
1: It stays a certain temperature in our home. I'm just saying,
0: it's like. But what happens is you go, I'm hot. And then you go, did someone touch the thermostat? Come on, am I right I'm freezing, did someone touch? Or you say, I'm cold. Somebody turn up. I want, every time you go on your phone, thermostat, or you go to your your wall, every time you see this, I wanted to remind you of what's the thermostat to joy in your home? Mm, What's the thermostat to peace in your home? Because you gotta set it. What's what's the thermostat to his presence in your home? Man, I don't feel God in here. What's the thermostat? Man, we're arguing. Somebody touched the thermostat. Yes, Satan. He was over there going to turn that thing all the way down. Maybe maybe we need to, hold on a second. Why are we arguing? What's the thermostat set to? What's the peace thermostat say? That's right. And just as much as you you set the thermostat to 68, 70, 70, whatever you live at, let's set it to joy. Let's set it to peace. Let's set it to, we're praying as a family. We, We feel his presence in our home. Come on, yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's set it, you gotta set it. And it doesn't have to be a whole lot, just one little degree, two little degrees can make a difference. How many of you, have somebody adjust the thermostat two degrees, you're like, hey, somebody touched the thermostat. Maybe we need, listen, you are not a thermometer. You're not the person to walk in the house and go, oh, everybody's annoying. Thank you, problem identifier. We appreciate your ministry. You're not called to identify just identify the atmosphere. Boy, you guys are really annoying today. Yep. Cuz it's set to annoying. <laughs> maybe instead of being a thermostat in your maybe instead of being a thermometer in your home, you could be a thermostat. Instead of just sensing the atmosphere, maybe you could set the atmosphere. That's right. Set it to joy, set it to peace. I'm going to choose the culture that we want to live in. And we're going to see God's presence rule and reign Amen. in our home. That's right. I, love you. I love you. Amen. You get something out of this today? Hey, if this sermon bless you and your family, I want to encourage you to be a truth partner. You can do that by simply going to creativechurch.com give and partnering with us to help get this message of truth out to more people in our nation and around the world. It is our truth partners that make this a reality. Again, thank you for subscribing to our channel. Thank you for liking today's video. We'll see you back on the channel real soon.